Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Welcome to episode 72 of Growth Marketing Today. I'm your host, Ramley John, and I'm here on a mission to help marketers and founders like you sharpen their marketing skills by talking to some of today's top experts. Welcome to the first episode of December 2019. I know I'm dating this episode, but there's only a few, you know, less than a month left until the end of this decade. And I've really been pensive about what this decade has been to me. I'm actually putting together some lessons learned that I've had for this decade. I'd love to hear from you. Like, what are some things that you've learned and what are some accomplishments you've had in this like last 10 years, like 2019 and it's going to be 2020 in less than a month. That's crazy. But enough about that. Today I have Lucas Haynes. He actually worked at Google previously. He was a former performance page performance specialist and he's currently the founder at Pathmonk and this episode is all about page speed why it's important to SEO and conversion optimization uh, i read somewhere that the ceiling to a lot of people's website and conversion rate it's not really your price it's not your copy it's not your form it could actually be your page load time cuz people are so impatient have you ever tried to load a page and it's just taking so long yeah i, I can see your hands in my mind because i know i would slow websites cause visitors to bounce period it impacts your potential search rankings because google looks at that your bounce rate it also impacts your conversion rate in this episode lucas like i said he worked at google actually shares with you practical tips that help increase a speed that he worked on by up to three times that's from nine seconds to about two to three seconds in this episode you'll learn first why is page speed important for seo and conversion optimization second what is critical path rendering and how can it help you speed up your site third how the type of font on your website affects your page speed that's not something i actually thought about but the type of font that you use on your website actually can affect your page speed and number four, five lightweight ways to improve your page speed. Now I've created a growth cheat sheet with all actionable tips from this episode on how to speed up your site. You can actually download it now at growthtoday.fm forward slash 72. Why take notes when you can just steal mine? You can just download it. You can go to growthtoday.fm forward slash 72. We can find the link in the description. Before we jump in, I just want to quickly thank those who made this episode possible. They help cover the cost of hosting and marketing tools I use so I can help grow this podcast and get more amazing experts that you and I can learn from. The sponsor for this episode is Rank Science. They created this really cool tool to A-B test your SEO if you have a lot of pages. They've created an algorithm that uses real-time search data to help you craft content that matches the searcher's intent for specific keywords so you don't have to guess what people are actually trying to find with those keywords. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial at rankscience.com forward slash grow today or you can find that link in the description of this podcast. Well, enough about this. Let's listen in my chat with Lucas. Hey, everybody. I have Lucas here. I'm excited to chat with him about SEO and mobile optimization. You worked at Google and you also co-founded Patmonk. How's it going, Lucas? How are things with you right now? Hey, Remy. All doing well. Great to be on the show here. Where are you calling from this this morning? Actually, I'm sitting in uh, a beautiful Düsseldorf, which is in, in Germany. Yes, was after my time in Google and, and Workday, uh, which was in the headquarters, EU headquarters in Dublin, I moved to, to Germany and rebuilding the company remotely. 
Nice. Yeah, I only had one other person on the podcast that is from Germany. But uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Can you share a bit of story of how and why you started PatMonk? Like I said, I noticed you worked at Google for a little bit and now you're PatMonk. What what is your story with that? Sure, sure. So I've been part uh, of Google's team in Ireland, EU headquarter team, uh, for about four years, uh, I would say. And I've been working primarily, especially towards the end, on conversion rate optimization and mobile page optimization for Google's biggest clients in the UK. And um, the reason why this was relevant is is obviously that more and more traffic is going through mobile pages, right? Also, more and more search traffic is going through the mobile search results. And then from a mobile search result, you hit a mobile page. And then what is happening, right? The conversions usually tend to be lower than on desktop. Um, And then there is a lot of parameters that tie into that, right? It's Number one, it's the usage behavior. People have very short instances of usage. Number two is how quick does the page actually load? Like, do you actually see something right on the screen? Um, and um, many other elements to that. So, um, yeah, I've been been working in, in the team in, in Google. Then I worked in a workday afterwards, which uh, I worked on a UX design role. So basically dive deeper into UX design patterns. Yeah, but basically this core idea of seeing, okay, there's a lot of companies that get relevant traffic that pay for traffic especially in the google context right that pay for traffic uh, and then they have conversion rates that are in many cases below two percent which means in turn 98 percent of all the visitors that a company gets and many times through paid acquisition don't even leave let's say the contact information let's say if it's a lead generation business and that really really started to interest me and try, try to figure out what are the different parameters there that are coming into play page speed is one of them so we're going to speak speak about that but it's definitely not the only one um, just because your page loads quicker does not necessarily mean your conversion rates shoot out the roof right so there's a couple of elements to that and um, this is how Pathmark also got born we were looking into what are other ways that are um, helping conversions and I think we're going to dive into that but sort of the core principle was you know while a lot of people are optimizing their website um, in regards to how the website is structured such as you know which image do I take what headline do I use which buttons do I place where we focused on another thing we focused a bit more on the behavioral optimization right because um, people have certain patterns of behavior that uh, can indicate on whether it's likely that they're going to submit, for example, their contact information or not. And so we build a technology that really focuses on optimizing for the behavioral aspect uh, on what somebody's doing on the website. But um, we're going to jump all about it. I think the, the overarching uh, comparison that we can have for this interview today would be if you just look at a normal retail store, right? Uh, a normal retail store that has a sliding door that needs to open and close, right? If this door opens super, super slow, People are not going to get in that easily. So that is an equation to how fast your website is loading, right? So it's one pace, one, one element of how much you're, you're going to be earning, basically, with the page. Then the second thing is you're jumping into the store. You see how all the racks are organized. This is a comparison to how your website is organized. Where, are, where do they find which element, right? And then the last piece is, and this is what we work on with Pathmark, is what information, what help do you get when you're walking through the store, when you're walking through the page? And um, this is where we tie in then um, with a product that is helping to give you relevant information at the right time to make a purchase or a sign up more likely. That's a great analogy. I'm I'm going to u- reuse that someday when I'm having a conversation or giving a talk. That I love that analogy with the store. Let's let's yeah let's put that into context for this conversation then. So, so right at the get go, page speed is important. It's really important. First of all, like how do you, how do you measure page speed? What are things that people are like 
can use right now to say, hey, we have our, our page speed is loading too slowly. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because it can get very confusing, right? Because there's tons of things that you could measure theoretically of how quick a page loads, right? There is the overall load time until all of the assets are loaded. Then there is the time to the first byte, like how quickly are we sending the first byte? Um, then there is the time to when you start rendering, right? When do you start showing anything? Um, there's the time until when it's fully loaded. So there's tons of metrics, and um, I can tell you what we did in Google is, um, and I think it's, it's, it's a very uh, interesting or good move, it's a smart move. We looked at what we uh, what is called a speed index, um, and I can already said right off the gate, there is a tool called uh, webpagetest.org, which was built by a Googler. It's not an official Google tool in that sense, but it's built by a Google team uh, who are passionate uh, about page speed and page speed optimization. And basically, a speed index is telling you how long does it take until all the content that is um, above the fold, like the very first view, how long does it take until this above the fold content is fully loaded and rendered on the page, right? So that the person can see something meaningful and can start interacting, you know, usually on the first call to action on the button or, you know, know what the context is about and then start to scroll. Yeah, so page index, page speed index, it is given in milliseconds. So a page speed index of 3000 would tell you how long does it take until that above the fold content is fully rendered and you have the image, you have the call to action, you have the value proposition, and, and I think that is a really, really great uh, metric to focus on because it focuses on what is actually relevant to a human because when you're loading a page um, and you're looking at time to first byte, that doesn't mean that a person would be seeing something on the screen. But if you're looking at page speed index, you will exactly know, okay, at this point in time, we've given a meaningful render to the, to the person. They can see something that makes sense. They can see our image uh, on the top. And yeah, I think that's a really great metric to focus on. I read some stats somewhere that the the waiting time of people, the patience of people these days have gone down from 10 years ago, right? Like people are so impatient. You already talked about this a little bit, but I want to reemphasize that point. Why, why does this matter? Why is loading that page really, really important, especially for marketers who might not be familiar with SEO? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you have to you have to put that into context. We we can talk. I mean, everything that is important for SEO is also important for uh, in many cases at least is important for SEO because it is important to the user, right? Because Google wants to give a great user experience because they want to keep you know people being having a good experience using uh, using the search engine and getting on good results. So if you are having a search result that is in the mobile search results and you click on that and you go to a page that stays white and blank for the next 15 or 20 seconds, that is not a good experience and people are just going to be dropping off. So the stats around this are usually, you know, that um, I think around 53% of all consumers will leave a site if it takes longer than three seconds to load because you're coming from a search results page hitting a blank screen you're impatient and you're gone right if it's white if it's just a white screen you think it's not loading you think it's broken you think the connection is not working and you're, and you're gone there's so many things that people uh, could think and what is important also to take into consideration is the way we use our mobile phone is obviously in what we call in google the um, mobile moments it's very short instances of usage you know there's 150 uh, I think on average 150 mobile moments that a user has on a day where they just pick up the phone, check something quickly, and then they might just be gone again. So page speed, I think, plays exactly that role to not use the loser, uh, sorry, to not lose the user once you just got them. You just paid for an app maybe to get them, and why would you now show them a wide screen for a long time and uh, let them go again? Because as I said before, three seconds is definitely uh, a good benchmark, which in turn meets in page speed index, 
3,000 milliseconds. So a page speed index of 3,000 is really definitely one one good uh, benchmark to go for. That's great. No, that's totally. I totally get it. That makes sense, right? Your people are paying for traffic. You don't want them to bounce out. That's something that they need to be looking out for. You talked about that three-second benchmark. What should marketers or what should people be aiming for then? And this is put in context. I I, I think I read a tweet from Sarah Shepard. He used to work at Moss and he started his own company. He said, always try to make your speed your the speed of your page faster. What is good to you then knowing that the benchmark is three seconds? <laughs> Everything that is below <laughs> the three seconds, I would say, right? <laughs> I mean, I think, um, uh, and, and that's why I focus so heavily on on, on page speed index. And I, we can walk now into how do you actually optimize for that page speed index for that first render of that screen. Yeah, so I would say everything below that uh, is definitely a very good, I think it's a good aim. If you say page speed index 3000, Everything that you can get off is better, but I would say that definitely should be the goal. And I think a lot of companies will be surprised. And I think it's something to keep in mind is not everybody is on a 5G connection. Not everybody is even on a 4G connection. Uh, there is still folks being on 3G, 3G fast. Like in my time in Google, the, it's, it's a while ago now, right? It's uh, what about one and a half, two, two years ago. We were measuring on 3G fast and people were looking at us, why do you do this? The reason, the re, the, the reason is ultimately... A lot of the people back then were still on that connection, right? Don't have high-end devices, um, and that's the reality of what they're experiencing on the page. Because if you know your team is sitting in the office, <laughs> worst case testing on Wi-Fi, um, having the page immediately load, you don't even see what the reality would be looking like. So, um, yeah, I think that's it's one uh, important thing to take into consideration there as well. Uh, if you're a marketer uh, and you are, you know having planning the next advertising campaign focusing on, on mobile as well take your phone take it out check it out somewhere De- delete the cache delete the co- delete everything that could be helping you to render the, si- uh, the site faster and then see how long it actually takes uh, and maybe take a phone from somebody who, who is not a, on a high-end device and then and then check it because i think this it's under it's underestimated sometimes interesting that's a good way of not now people are going to go buy out and try to find a 3g phone to test out your site <laughs> That's great. That's great advice. I want to talk about now. So we have the benchmark and what are some things that people can do? And this is something that you use lightweight without changing servers to help speed up their their site. Yes. I, I love that question. I think the first thing to keep in mind is to change a little bit the way you think about page speed optimization. And the first change come with the metric that you care about, right? And we just sort of talked about page speed index being a great metric because it shows until when you're actually rendering something on the screen. So now then you have to reverse engineer a little bit, like what what makes the first render of the screen happening, right? And what are the things that are blocking uh, the content to be showing of the above the fold content? And um, maybe for the marketeers, I want to give you just one one framework uh, on hand, which is called the critical rendering path. So I don't want to jump too much into detail, but the browser in itself basically has to walk along a path of actions that I have to do, downloading the files and, and, and parsing them and so on and so forth to then be able to show anything on the screen. So, and that means that H, um, the HTML files, the CSS files and the JavaScript files, they impact how long it will take until you even be able to show anything on the screen. So JavaScript, for example, is by default render blocking. Right. You have to know that JavaScript is render blocking. So it will be, the, the browser will wait until it has downloaded and executed all that JavaScript. So now if you're thinking about 
if your goal is again to optimize that first screen at the very top, right? If you're thinking about what type of JavaScript is being downloaded on the average page, there is a lot of JavaScript that has nothing to do with that first screen at the very top. You know, it's sometimes it's the JavaScript that is responsible for the checkout at the very, very end at the page, or it's responsible for a picture carousel that is uh, at the bottom of the, of the page, right? All of this is not delivering any value to the very first paint of the screen. So I think that is the first concept to keep in mind that if you, you really want to aim to have a good page speed index to get everything out of the way that could be by default be blocking it because what, what render blocking means in simple terms is if you block the render, you have a white screen and you don't see anything. And only once the, once the critical rendering path is finished, so all the CSS, all the JavaScript is downloaded and executed, then is when you're going to start seeing something, right? And then that doesn't even mean that your pictures are ready. That doesn't even mean that your fonts are ready. That doesn't even mean that your icons are ready. But that's the first thing to keep in mind. So one very lightweight, so what I'm going to try to do is give some lightweight hints for all of that because the, the core concept is you will always have to think each of the files that are downloading. And if you go to webpagetest.org, you can run, put your website, put it in there. You can emulate the mobile browser. You can pick a network, 3G fast, 4G, 5G. You can pick it and run a test and you can see actually sort of a slow down version, picture by picture, frame by frame, um, how fast your page is actually loading. And then you're going to see, you know, something like three, four seconds, it's white. Then maybe the fonts appear, then the icons appear, and then it takes some, a long time until the hero image is appearing in many cases, right? So to make it simple, it would be now looking at that, that sort of breakdown and go file by file. What is happening here? What is happening here? Okay, so we have five JavaScript files at the very top. Why? What is in them? Do we need them right now? Or is it maybe an old A-B testing tool that we don't even use anymore, right? Because, because the tag is still in there. Um, um, so that's that's one thing. So that that core idea of thinking about each file step by step affects how, how quickly you're rendering. And then obviously now there is a different strategy uh, for each of the different types of files that you're having, right? For your CSS, for your JavaScript, for your images, for your fonts. Um, so there's different strategies for all of them and how you can can improve them. But that would be the core concept. I'm happy to jump into more examples now for each of the things, but the core concept would be that looking at webpagetest.org, throw it in there, check it out. You know, how long is my page wide? What, what might be the cost for that? And if I see tons of JavaScript files, that's for sure a cause of it. Um, yeah. That's that's the core concept. I'm happy to go deeper into into each of the, the elements. Yeah, no, that's great. That's uh that's something that I didn't think about. And yes, please, can we go deeper on that? I really love like when we get into the weeds, and I think some of my best episodes are ones where people get into the weeds. Yeah, yeah, sure. So maybe we can just like walk what a typical waterfall. Like it's called waterfall, like the items on how, how, how that are loading uh, after each other. What a typical waterfall would be looking like, and the typical waterfall would be looking like the following: that there is some CSS loading at the very beginning. So the first file is always the HTML file, obviously. Then you have your CSS files that style your page, right? Make it look uh, beautiful. And then you have JavaScript, which brings in the functionality. So if you walk along that path, and then you have obviously the images, you have your fonts, and um, that, I mean, essentially that makes a page, right, to a large degree. And um, so basically, if you would walk now uh, one by one. So if we look at the CSS, uh, the very first one, um, and I'm just going to give some pointers right now, right? If you look at the CSS, um, 
What can be done with CSS relatively, it's a bit of effort, but what can be done with CSS is to extract the critical CSS that is responsible for everything that you see on top of the screen. And then what you can do is you can take that critical CSS, you can take it out of your CSS sheet, and then you can inline it into the HTML file. I mentioned before, this, the HTML file is always going to be the first one that's going to be then requested, which means now your CSS, only the CSS that is required at the very beginning for the first screen is being pulled with the first request. That would be one thing. It's a bit more work to do, so it depends a little bit on what page uh, you're on, if it's fully you know, customizable or if you're on a, on a sort of Shopify type of page that makes it obviously much, a bit more difficult, especially the team might not be then there to do that. But for CSS, that would be the first thing. Then the next one in the waterfall will be JavaScript. Uh, in most cases. Um, um, if you go to the webpagetest.org site, it's sort of like a brown, yellowish color of you would see every JavaScript file like that. And um, one thing that you can do with JavaScript is uh, you can look at the file and say, do I really need that file right now to be loading at the very beginning? Right? And in some instances, it might be a no because it's somewhere in the logic of your, like I said before, your checkout of the store, for example. You don't need that in the first couple of seconds. So what you can be doing is simply add a tag to the JavaScript that's called async. So you're going to load JavaScript asynchronously, uh, which means that it's going to be only it's going to be downloading while the HTML is parsing, but it's going to be executing only after. Uh, sort of the rendering has been done. So you basically put it on hold a little bit until, you know, you got your rendering done. And then it's, and as I mentioned before, JavaScript is render blocking. But now, since you're loading it asynchronously and loading it later, it's not going to be impacting uh, um, sort of that, that render that render path anymore. Um, that can be done to all the JavaScript that is not critical to either display your page at all or to be shown at the very top uh, of your page. So that would be a way to think about JavaScript, for example. You want to ask something or say something? No, 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 that's great. Do you, do you have any more? Yeah, sure, sure. So, <laughs> sure. So uh, one of the favorites back then, and I think it's becoming less less relevant today, but still I can see it on some pages, Is and that it ties still to JavaScript, that's what I'm mentioning it right now, is um, you know when people have a carousel on their website at the very top, you know, a flipping screen of a couple of images uh, coming with different types of marketing messages. Obviously, from a user experience perspective, from a marketing perspective, uh, there is already a lot of uh, arguments against, against those carousels. But even looking from a page speed perspective, it's a very, very... Um, expensive or very bad, bad thing, I could say, bad thing to do because a carousel, you have to think about what does a carousel consist of? Some way or the other, the pictures have to be flipping around, right? In most cases, it's J uh, JavaScript that is responsible for this. So now you have the following situation. You have a carousel at the very top of your screen, which has to load five images, five or six images, Right? And you're starting to think already, okay, if you're looking from a critical rendering path perspective, as you, we were saying before, what you realize is, oops, I have JavaScript that is critical rendering path blocking. I have five or six images that take ages to load. And, you know, what is even my upside to this? Do people actually convert on a fifth or sixth or seventh carousel image? In most cases, they don't. So um, one very simple advice, if if you still have a carousel on the top of your page, on your mobile page, get rid of it because it's... It's blocking rendering. It's tons of images that has to be loaded. We can go into images in a second. 
Um, but that would be very, very simple, easy advice um, uh, to say here as well. Um, so that would be, you know, something about uh, JavaScript. There's more things you can do. Uh, we can get more advanced, but like sort of as a as a more very simple thing to do, you know, when you sit there as a marketer, you look at your at your web page test result and you're like, hey, there's a lot of JavaScript files, like, and we're not showing any content for like six, seven seconds. That could be a really good thing to address um, at the very beginning. Good. And um, yeah, so then obviously if you move along uh, that path, the next thing will be images, obviously, and there's a lot of things you can do with images. Um, I want to give maybe two or three small pointers there. So uh, on, on webpagetest.org, the images they show as a purple line. So usually the purple lines are the longest ones because pictures are in many, many cases not optimized and they load super long. Um, so there's a couple of things you can do with images. Um, as we just said before, always tying it back to the page speed index, what you want to do is you want to paint that first screen above the fold the quickest, right? So what can you do now for your image? If you have a hero image at the very top of the screen, and I see that very often on pages, which is that the hero image loads very late uh, in, the, in the order. Maybe it's just somewhere among all the other images um, that are being loaded for the page. What would be a way to flip that situation around would be to say, okay, I take that uh, hero image and it's called base64 encoding. So it's, there are base64 encoders out there. You basically throw that up in the base64 encoder and what it does is it takes your image and creates a string of code that represents that image. Okay. So what you can do now is you can take that string of code, go back to your HTML file and load it immediately with your HTML file, which means your hero image is not loading anymore at position you know, 10, 15, 20, or whatever it is, but it's gonna be loading for sure, definitely with the first request. Uh, and therefore gonna be painting the first screen much quicker. And therefore you will have a better page index and therefore people will not see a blank screen uh, so long um, because they're not waiting on the hero image anymore. That totally makes sense. Like you're really trying to drive home that point that people should Look at the critical path rendering, which is the, everything that you need to load anything above the fold. So when people load a page, they see something, right? It doesn't matter what's below uh, when people scroll down because that could be loaded later. It's that moment of like, aha, it, it actually loaded up. Exactly, exactly. And this is the critical thing. And this is all the metrics that we're talking about when you say you have to load fast. And, you know, people leaving a page when it's not loading within three minutes, three seconds, uh, this is what we're talking about. They're looking at a blank screen uh, and they're gone. So. Um, and uh, yeah, you mentioned the images there. I think maybe one example, uh, so you mentioned that once the user starts scrolling, one example there that really highlights this again is you don't have to load all the images at the same time. There is a technique called lazy loading, which is um, you can basically use to just request an image once a user starts scrolling on the page, which is a perfect representation of this idea. You only load what you need at the beginning and once the user starts interacting, pictures will emerge one by one. When we come back in just a moment, you'll hear the type of font on your website can actually affect your page speed. And also a case study of how Lucas' suggestion for improving your website improve a site that Lucas worked on from nine seconds loading time to actually two seconds in terms of page index. I just wanna thank the sponsor for this episode again, Rank Science. Rank Science is the easiest way to grow your organic traffic and get your content ranking higher in Google. They have an AI powered platform that gives your content team superpowers. What does that even mean? Let me explain that to you. They use real-time search data and natural language processing to help your content team craft content that is highly relevant to search intent and map that out directly to what 
people are searching for. So you don't actually have to guess anymore what the intent of searches are. They've figured out that with their algorithm. This allows you to optimize any past blog posts to match that to search intent of searchers. And that also helps you plan out and create new blog posts that really gives you a step-by-step -step plan for easy success. Now, you, if you have a lot of landing pages, you can also leverage RankScience SEO A-B testing platform to easily test which HTML changes can cause an uplift in your search traffic. That is super cool. As an added bonus, the platform also allows marketers to make SEO enhancements to their website without having to bother their engineering again. Now, RankScience is used by hundreds of companies to grow organic traffic from startups to publicly traded companies, including Customers like BuildZoom, Goldbelly, Sweetness, and Career Karma. You can sign up for a risk-free 30-day trial at rankscience.com forward slash grow today, or you can find that link in the description of this podcast. Now, if you don't like ads like this, support me for as little as $2 per episode for an ad-free version of this podcast. You'll also know who I have coming up as guests, be part of a private Slack group, and have monthly video calls with me. You can go to patreon.com forward slash grow today to help with the cost to maintain and grow this podcast. You can find that link in the description. Enough about this, let's jump back in my chat with Lucas. Is there any easy way to, like, are there any plugins for WordPress that you would suggest to, to do some of the stuff that you, you suggested or maybe some things that people can do on Squarespace because people might be on Squarespace or Webflow? Like, what are things that people can do so they don't have to, like, get, get into the code? Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's, that's a, a tricky one. I think ultimately one, one simple thing is to, uh, you know, make sure that your images are compressed, right? So there's a lot of image compress, uh, compressing tools to just make sure some people, uh, don't do that. So if you just Google, Google for that. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And I think for what I mentioned before, the base 64 encoding, it basically just requires you to go into the HTML file and paste in that one line of code. So in terms of plugins, I'm probably not the best guy to ask for that, for the, for the plugins uh, type of thing. But I think um, actually all of the things that I mentioned, there's libraries uh, for that that make it very, very easy to use. Um, uh, I just mentioned the lazy loading. There's a library called lazy sizes for that that you can find uh, on GitHub. So um, what I'm trying to say is it's maybe not the job that the marketeer has to necessarily execute, mm, but I right. think what the marketeer can be doing is run a test Look at it. Realize, you know, how long are we doing? Uh, how long do we have here um, a white screen? And now you can have an educated conversation with your with your developer to say, hey, can we do something about the hero image? Can we do something about some JavaScript maybe that we load a little bit later? Uh, can we do something about uh, the fonts, for example, maybe one very funny, interesting one, I think it is, I personally find it interesting is if you think about the fonts, right? Even though everything is rendered, if it, even though you have... Um, even though you have your pictures loaded, sometimes the font doesn't show up, right? Or the icons are doesn't show up. And one very simple thing to go around is this, thinking about what is a web font really and which web fonts a user might most likely already have downloaded, right? If you look, right. At, if you look at the Google fonts, for example, if you're not too fussy with the fonts, right? I know there's a, we're going into a design conversation here, but if, <laughs> if, if, you are, if you're not too fussy on the web font, if you look at Roboto and Open Sans, these are the two most widely used Google web fonts, right? If you're working with Google web fonts. Um, and that means that to a very, very high uh, likelihood, a user has already cached that font. If you have a super specific font, right, um, 
the user will have to download it. It's going to take time. It's going to take maybe three, four seconds in most cases how to download that font. Uh, and then it's going to be only showing up once it's ready to download after all the JavaScript, all the CSS. Um, so that's one very simple trick. If the if if you're if you're not very deliberate about your font and you're kind of choosing it by okay, it kind of fits. Roboto and Open Sans are always a great choice because the user already has it cached because they have been very, very surely on another page where they downloaded it, they have it in the cache, and it's just going to show up on your page immediately. Mm. Right. So these are the, the things. So, um, yeah, in terms of plugins, maybe I have to disappoint a little bit there, the users. <laughs> but I think my, my point would be to actually, because a plugin in itself is going to be JavaScript in most cases, right. <laughs> it's going to be impacting it a little bit. Right. The purpose. Um, so, but yeah, having a uh, being able to have an educated conversation is, I think, what is uh, is probably the main the main thing I can and give on hand uh, to people for me. Plugins isn't always a solution, like you said. It's it's also JavaScript, right? Uh, thank you for sharing all that tips. It's something that I didn't think about, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners haven't think, thought about as well. I, I want to talk a little bit about browser because that's something you also mentioned that you can talk about how browser. The different type of browser affects like load page, like pa the page loading. Yeah, I mean that goes back into what we kind of touched up already. The the critical rendering path, right? So you have to, you cannot basically think about your page independent of the browser. So because you cannot just say, oh, we're loading slow, we have to improve our service. We might be loading slowly because the browser takes some time to get to our to to our assets, right? So I think we kind of drove that point already. We kind of focused on it already by going through. Um, how a browser is basically is basically yeah going through this. So basically, on a very simple high level, it's basically if you think about the critical rendering path, what this really just means is the the browser has to parse your HTML. So it's going to look at uh, the HTML, um, then it's going to get the CSS, it's going to get the JavaScript, and then from those, it's going to be what is called the render tree. Uh, it's going to basically take um, uh, maybe a little bit too many like specifics here, but it's going to take the DOM and then render and paint the screen. So basically, yeah, the concept that we discussed uh, about already, which is that yeah, all those elements can impact how long it takes until anything is shown on the screen. I would say that's the key point when talking about it. Do you find like some certain browsers load page faster than another type of browser? Yeah, I don't have any. I don't have any exact data on that. I would have to probably check out the latest thing. I don't have any no, no insights. That makes sense. I want to talk a little bit about mobile optimization. Is something that you talked about outside of the uh, page speed. Before actually, before I do all that stuff that you implemented, do you have like a before and after snapshot of like a, a site that you implemented all of these changes and you're like it went from like I don't know twenty seconds to load to like two seconds something like that <laughs> from twenty seconds usually <laughs> um, just an example it's, it's usually difficult I mean but there's tons of there's tons of I think especially if you check out the thing with Google Pages there's tons of examples because obviously Google was also interested in sharing those those results right but I think some of the examples I can I can definitely tell is you know we were working with e-commerce companies and it was not not uh, unlikely if they would be sitting on a seven to eight or ten seconds to move it down to three or below three uh, seconds and this usually has been those those elements that we've just been discussing like looking at a, a few of those things it's not usually a very heavy task it's looking at those couple of elements and, and get that away so having that three four seconds win maybe even more um uh, is definitely happening obviously if you have a huge video sitting there 
on the top, then the win can be super easy if you replace that video with the base 64 encoded image and then you shoot it at the very first request and then it's already there. So this is how you get the, this is how you kind of get the sort of easy results, uh, easier results, I would say. So you would suggest against having a, a video, like just a video link to YouTube right above the fold? Because that's something that I see some companies do. The thing that I the thing that I would suggest is to to think about it from your speed budget again. Uh, it's very hard to just say categorically this is bad or this is good. You always have to think about what is the win do we have? Did we increase conversions amazingly because we have a video there, or did we not? Right? And if you didn't, on the flip side, do you maybe lose users because your page isn't loading so fast because you have the video? Because what is a video? A video is that has to be embedded in a video player. The video player requires JavaScript. JavaScript is render blocking. The, the, the screen, screen is going to be loading a little bit faster. There's a couple of tricks you can do with videos. Um, um, one thing would be, for example, that you just have sort of an image with the um, uh, with the button in there. And once the user clicks, you then request the video and then load the player, right? So that would be one thing to, 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 work, to work around that. But uh, yeah, I think it's very difficult to make this categorical things you like, this is good, this is bad. It's always, what is your conversion rate? What is your page load time? And do you need that video for that conversion rate? Is the video actually impacting the conversion rate? Do you know? If it does, I would be very careful in removing just the video. If it does not impact positively your conversion rate and it impacts your page load negatively, I think there might be a very good argument to replace that and load the patch faster. That makes sense. Yeah, you're really focusing on that conversion rate. Which leads me to, I guess, talk about PatMonk. You were talking about how it helps conversion rate by understanding the behavior of your visitors. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what are things that you're looking at uh, with that tool? Sure, sure. So I think how PathMonk got originally born was uh, we've seen, as I mentioned before, that conversion rates on mobile, but also on desktop uh, for most product pages, let's say, you know, to request a demo, for example, for a software, they remain relatively low. Right. Uh, if there is not a free download button of, of the software, if you want to request a demo or if you're selling a high value item, maybe a course or something expensive, um, the conversion rates tend to be relatively low, somewhere around 2%. So this is where we started. Okay, so what are the, the impacting uh, effects on this? We already st started talking now about the door. Right? We, I think we went into very much detail on how you can move your door right? open faster. So, but the next thing would be now you're in the store, right? Now you're in or in the website per se. So. Um, what we started to look at is, okay, humans have certain types of patterns that are actually relatively consistent, right? In terms of how they, if you look at a typical supermarket or look at a retail store, we are walking through this and we're acting in relatively similar ways, right? It's not that we're all walking through this super unique, uh, uh, one with the eyes closed, one on the hand. No, we're just walking through this, taking the items off the rack. And sort of this is sort of where we started to think about that. And basically what we do with Pathmark is to just bring that point down is um, we built a technology that's called smart cards. Yeah? And they represent, you could say, a sales assistant in a store um, that is sort of stepping, that is observing you and that is stepping by when it discovers it would be good if it would give you some extra information about a product, right? So a retail 
shop assistant. Maybe you're thinking about a luxury store, somebody who is, you know, standing in the store, politely waiting, but seeing that you're having an issue or looking at a certain item and then stepping forward to provide some information, right? And that's basically what we're building in the, in the technology world. So smart cards understand exactly what you're doing on the page. Is it your first time that you visit? Is it second time? Is it your 10th time? Have you just been scrolling up and down because you might be searching information? Or have you been flipping between one tab and the other? So smart cards understand all of this and they understand your product. So they know frequently asked questions, they know testimonial videos, they know case studies, and basically smart cards slide in from the bottom on a mobile phone, and they look and feel as being part of the page, right? So it's not something external. Uh, they slide in from the bottom to provide extra information about that product that you've been checking out, and then usually the first, second, or third action is a conversion type of action, right? So maybe you click on a uh, frequently asked question, and then next step would be if you would like to know more, uh, you know, set up a demo, for example, here, I can um, leave your information. So, and that is how we're pushing conversion rates, uh, putting conversion rates up. But the concept is to be that that um, sales assistant that is uh, quietly observing, handing in information uh, when being required. And I think, um, well, we think this is something very new to the table of conversion rate optimization because the standard practice of conversion rate optimization focuses on improving how the store or the page looks like what message is in the store what uh, where is the image uh, same do people do in supermarkets right? where is which item or retail source where do we place which item they're rotating the items in the store to push certain items to be sold but we are more reflecting that assistant mm, i think one thing is interesting is and i think it's the second layer why we started learning about this and started working on this is we looked at chatbots, right? Because the first reaction could be, yeah, that assistant is just like a chatbot and helping you. But we we figured this, a lot of people, and the data actually is not we figured this, the data showed us, um, a lot of people do not interact with chatbots at the first place. Uh, at the first place, it's a, it's, an, it's a chat bubble sitting at the right bottom. And in many, many cases, it's passively sitting there. So if you compare that back to your store, um, situation it's a sales assistant that would be sitting in the corner standing in the corner waiting until you come and ask a question right and uh, i mean in some cases it will be especially if you have a very burning question or if you complain or that's why customer service is so great for this but in the normal sales context where you're just walking through a store you, you, you're probably not going to talk to the person and um that's where we where we started off because we saw chatbots are too passive in that sense uh, plus there's also this you know, people, a lot of people have negative connotations around chatbots of not being a human and so on and so forth. But I'm talking only about that first initiation of the conversation. Right? And um, that's why we kind of yeah, built a solution that is a bit more proactive to bring that information to the user based on their actual behavior. I like that. It's like personalized conversion optimization. You're like the whole thing you talked about, like changing the design, the copy, that's more mass conversion optimization. You're trying to optimize for the mass in this one. You're personalizing for each visitor based on what they've done. Yeah, that's correct. Exactly. Can you also, I'm guessing you're also trying to figure out which type of content or which type of call to action would perform better for certain types of behavior. So there's a lot of like, I don't want to use the word because it's such a buzzword, like machine learning or AI happening in the background to really figure out that match between like behavior to uh content or, or lead uh, content? Yeah, I can, I can break that down a little bit. I think it doesn't even have to be a buzzword because, buzzword because, uh, um, because, because what, it, uh, what we focused on is really, so what is your ways at the moment, right? At the moment, you can do a lot of A-B testing. 
right? Which requires a team that does work that has the, the knowledge about it, has the patience to do that, and has you know the time and space to actually do all this on the page. So um, how we were how we are looking how we are looking at doing this is and what is the right content is we're looking at you know there's different types of cards that are being played out, right? There's a social proof card. There is a testimonial card. There is a card that holds frequently asked questions. So, and that's really what we are, what we are optimizing for. What types of cards have to, have to be shown to a particular user at which point in time? And in that case, in that sense, we are taking away not the A-B testing work that would be required on the website because, you know, I just separated before there is the store and then there is the sales assistant. But definitely we are playing into that area of automating a lot of the A-B testing because we're basically continuously checking out which car to show. And um, that is, in that sense, replacing you to having to done a lot of A-B testing manually. I want to start wrapping up and ask you these two questions. The first one is, what's your one piece of advice to um, marketers in general, whether that's SEO or start starting a company, maybe some of them want to start a company down the road? Yeah, um, I've, I'm not sure if I'm the best guy to give advice, but I think one thing, one thing I think is really interesting is to sometimes step a step back and look and what is it factually, in fact, that we're working on, right? So page speed optimization, for example, it, it can it, it was hyped a lot. A lot of people brought a lot of ideas. Do you need this for this and this and that? But then ultimately, you know, just stepping back, right? And just a very simple thing, like if we are not opening door for the people, how can they even get it? Right. So just like if we're just stepping back sometimes and saying, okay, what does it actually mean in reality? How does it impact our users? And then see um, how you can uh, improve that. And that's I think it's the same thing that I mentioned before with like. Uh, chatbots and messaging. Yes, I think it's true. Messaging is one of the key elements how we all communicate uh, online. But the reality is also a lot of people just run through a store, don't want to be bothered, and uh, just want to pick their items and need maybe helpful information from time to time. So, yeah, maybe I think my advice would be to sometimes step back a little bit from the technology trend and look into how it is actually fitting into the user journey of your users. And just last question, where can people find out more about you and more about PathPunk and the work that you do? Yeah, so go to, to pathmonk.com. Uh, um, you can check it out there. You can see how the product works. You can watch a, a demo of the tool. You can also sign up for a personal demo if it sounds interesting for your uh, for your products. Um, and um, we run a small path, uh, podcast as well. If I can make a small plug, plug there, it's Pathmonk Presents. We usually tend to speak to uh, you know SaaS founders, conversion rate optimization specialists, and, and bring them on the show and like talk a little bit about you know what have they've been to work uh, to improve their conversions on the websites. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, because I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back to the first episode of December. I just want to share with you my three key takeaways from this episode. First, compress your images. Images are the most resource-intensive assets that browsers have to typically load. One thing I've been doing is using something like tinypng.com to compress images, but Lucas suggests taking it to the next level, which I actually haven't heard of until now. And that's using base64 encoding to add your images to your page. I'm gonna try that out and see if it actually works. Second, use Roboto or Open Sans fonts whenever possible. I, I, I don't have a very creative eye. I can admit that. I just use readily available fonts from Google. I didn't think that those fonts actually impact my site speed, but it makes sense that Lucas suggests that you should use Roboto or Open Sans because if you don't, you just have to download those custom fonts that you use before the website loads and that actually could impact once again your search results and even your conversion rate because 
people are very impatient these days. And third, look at the critical path rendering of your website. Are there any plugins or JavaScript that's there that you don't need? Remove any ones that are not necessary for pages to load. Now, did I miss something? Share with me your takeaways from this episode on Twitter at RamleyJohn or email Ramley at growthtoday.fm. I'd love to hear from you. Before I end, I just want to thank those who made this episode possible. The sponsor for this episode helped cover the cost of hosting and marketing tools I use so I can focus on getting amazing experts on this show. Thank you for the sponsor of this episode, Rank Science. If you are in content marketing, this thing is cool. They use real-time search data and natural language processing to help you craft content that is highly relevant to searchers' intent. And if you have a lot of pages, they also have an SEO A-B testing platform that you can use. Sign up for a risk-free 30-day trial at rankscience.com forward slash grow today, or you can find that link in the description. Well, that's it for this episode. Until the next one, this is your host, Ramley John, and as always, keep on growing. Passion.